0: The reading is Matthew chapter 26, beginning at verse 69. Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway, where another servant girl saw him, and said to the people there, This fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath, I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you are one of them, your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately, a cock crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the cock crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans how to have Jesus executed. So they bound him, led him away and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us, they replied, that's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. The chief priests picked up the coins and said, It is against the law to put this into the treasury, since it is blood money. So they decided to use the money to buy the potter's field as a burial place for foreigners. That is why it has been called the field of blood to this day. Then what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. They took the 30 pieces of silver, the price set on him by the people of Israel, and they used them to buy the potter's field as the Lord commanded me.
1: Let's pray, shall we, as we come to God's word. Father in heaven, thank you for your word to us. Thank you that you're a speaking God. And as we come to your word now, we pray, Lord, that you'd open your word up to us and open us up to your word that we might be changed to know you better and love you more. For Jesus' sake, we pray. Amen. Well, of all the different emotions that we experience in life, I wonder which you would say is the most crippling. Given the the circumstances that we're living through right now, all that's happening around us, imagine that fear is an emotion that jumps the top of most people's list. Fear of the unknown, fear of what will be next week, next month and next year. Fear for our loved ones, fear of whether life will ever return to normal, in inverted commas. Fear is a powerful and emotive force in our lives right now. For others, maybe it's grief, that sense of being overwhelmed with sadness and sorrow, that, that crushing feeling that can be so debilitating. For others, maybe it's love, an intensity of love. But what about guilt? What about that desperate feeling of having failed someone or let them down? Well, in today's passage, Peter and Judas and the chief priests all have to engage with guilt at some level because all three have failed. The chief priests, as we shall see, are essentially blind to their guilt. Judas is driven to despair by his guilt. And Peter is reduced to a weeping mess because of his guilt. But of course, they're not the only ones. We too have failed each other. We too have failed our Lord. And therefore, we too need to know how to respond, what we are called to do with our guilt. And wonderfully, as we journey with Jesus through these final few hours of his life, we're given the answer. Because all roads lead to the cross, and it's at the cross that Jesus died to deal with our sin and to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. Firstly, let's take a look at Peter who so far in Matthew's gospel has been fairly outspoken in terms of his allegiance to Jesus. You may remember that discussion on the way down from the, from the Passover meal to the Garden of Gethsemane back in verse 34. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered. He's speaking to Peter this very night, before the cock crows, you will disown me three times." But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. I will never fail you, Jesus. Peter is absolutely adamant. Yet look at what happens just a few hours later in verse 69 and 70. Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Well, with the trial now over, the the crowds disperse from the courtyard. And as they do this, this slave girl wanders over to Peter and she calls into question his loyalty and his devotion. And in that moment, Peter has a choice to make as to whether he will stand with Jesus or deny him. Maybe he looks around the courtyard at the temple guards and his, his knees begin to tremble. Maybe the words just fall out of his mouth before he's even had time to think. Whatever the process, whatever's going on in Peter's head, the result is the same. He ends up denying his Lord. And before he's had the chance to reflect properly on what he's done, he's confronted again in verse 71. Then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. As you can see, this isn't a quiet conversation. She didn't just pull pull, uh, Peter to one side and have a quiet word with him. She speaks to everyone present. This is public. She points the finger and says, this is the guy. This is the fellow that was with Jesus of Nazareth. But again, Peter denies it, this time with an oath in verse 72. And by the time we get to verse 73, Peter is really on the ropes After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. The Galilean accent cuts through the crowd like a Geordie in Long Crendon and Peter knows it. He's got nowhere to hide verse 74, so he began to call down curses and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Or to put that in 21st century dialect, I swear, I swear on my life and on the life of my children, I do not know this man. And just as Peter's denial reaches its crescendo, the cock crows. And it all comes flooding back in verse 75. Then Peter remembered. He remembered the word Jesus had spoken before the cock crows. You will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. It's quite disturbing, isn't it, to see such a devoted follower of Jesus crumble so quickly. And as we watch this crumbling take place this morning, we must ask ourselves, why did it happen? What was it that led Peter to deny his Lord? Well, of course, there's a number of factors involved here. We could speak of Peter's self-confidence defiant almost in his spoken allegiance to Jesus, and yet he crumbles at the mildest of cross examinations. Why? Because he was confident in himself rather than in Christ. We could also speak of Peter's self-preservation, his natural instinct to save his own skin, because in that moment he forgot about his Savior, and all he could think about was himself. But the real issue, I think, the the real root of of Peter's downfall is his self-reliance, or to put it another way, his prayerlessness. If you remember three times Jesus called his disciples to pray in the garden, on each occasion he said, watch and pray, watch and pray, watch and pray. Why? So that you do not fall into temptation. But instead of praying, they slept. You see, the battle had already been lost long before Peter arrived in the courtyard. The battle was lost when he failed to pray in the garden. As J.C. Ryle points out in his commentary, A tree may fall with a great crash, but the rot set in years before. Peter may have fallen with a crash in the courtyard, but the rot of self-reliance was at work long before. It's written all over Peter's denial, and sadly it's written all over our lives as well. You see, the real issue is often deeper than the issue itself. The real issue is that we fail to pray for God's power and for God's strength in our life. So many people I've spoken to this week, both inside and outside the church, are fearful and anxious. We've been bombarded with these messages 24-7, hourly updates on, on the virus and its progress and the devastation that it's causing. And of course, on one level, that's helpful. It's good to know what's going on in our community and in our world. But the danger is our hearts become so full of this stuff all this negative news yet so empty of prayer. And the result is that we become increasingly paralyzed by fear and anxiety. And so I must ask you this simple question. Do you pray? Are you praying at this time? Are you taking everything to the Lord in prayer? Are you praying for his strength? Are you praying for his grace? Are you praying for his wisdom? Are you praying for his will to be done? And are you praying in the knowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord over all, including the coronavirus? And as we think about the devastation that this virus is causing, I wonder, are we praying both for the physical and the spiritual dimension? No doubt we're prompted to to pray for, for physical healing and physical protection because of what we see around us. And that's good, and it's proper. But are we also praying for for spiritual healing and spiritual protection? Are we praying that our world would wake up to the good news of Jesus? That people everywhere might see how, how weak and vulnerable that they are, and their eyes would be turned to a great God. The only God who can save, the only God who can preserve, the only God who can deal with the brokenness of this world. And are we praying for our church at this time? Are we praying for ourselves that we would be free from fear and anxiety, that God in his kindness might use what's happening around us to knock out those props of self-reliance from under our hearts and cause us to rely more heavily upon him? You see, Peter's failure was ultimately a failure to pray. And we need to make sure that we don't fall into the same trap of self-reliance and prayerfulness. But before we do get too disillusioned with our own prayer life and our own failings, it's worth remembering that our God is a God of grace. Peter fell badly, but was restored wonderfully. And it's actually a restoration process that begins in verse 75. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the cock crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Don't know whether you've ever wept over your sin like that. Deeply, deeply sorry for what you've done. Well, it's that heartfelt conviction. It's that grieving of sin that marks the beginning of Peter's repentance and leads to a joyful restoration with Jesus. That we see at the end of John's Gospel As one author said Too many people are acquainted With their fall But not with their recovery We're all acquainted With our failure The question is will we be acquainted With repentance And restoration Firstly we have the denial Of Peter, secondly we have the demise Of Judas, have a look down at verse 3 Of chapter 27 When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. Now given the timeline of events, it seems more than possible that Judas was somewhere in the courtyard as well. And as Jesus is led away, Judas is seized with remorse. The moment of realization is upon him. Which makes me ask the question, why didn't he see it before? Why didn't he see it when he was plotting with the chief priest to betray Jesus? Why didn't he see it when he was exposed by Jesus at the Passover meal? Why didn't he see it when he was leading the mob out to the garden to have Jesus arrested? Why didn't he see it when he leant over to betray Jesus with a kiss? Not at any point did his conscience call into question what he was doing what a challenge that is for us all too to make sure that we stop for long enough to see where our sin might lead you see if the seed of sin is left unchecked it can snowball pretty quickly a lustful glance can very quickly become an adulterous act an angry thought can very quickly become domestic abuse And a little white lie can very quickly become a full-blown cover-up at work. It might feel small at the beginning, but before you know it, that snowball of sin is gathering weight and momentum, and it is crashing down the hill out of control, just as it was for Judas. So it can be for us. Oh, to be a people who pray that pray that God would awaken our conscience and help us see our sin before it's too late. Well, as Jesus is led away, that moment of realisation comes to Judas. But by this stage, there is no stopping the sequence of events that has been set in motion. Judas says in verse 4, I've sinned, for I've betrayed innocent blood judas's instinct is to put things right and to give the money back and that's what he tried to do but it didn't work look at the end of verse 4 what is that to us the chief priest replied that's your responsibility the leaders won't help him the leaders can't help him because they're drowning in the same sea of guilt that judas is So verse 5, Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. You see, what we need to understand here is that regret and remorse, which is what we see in Judas, is less than repentance. Judas may have had a change of mind, but he didn't have a change of heart. There was no bitter weeping like Peter. There was no genuine conviction of sin. We can see that from his actions in verse 3. Regret, yes. Repentance, no. You see, there's only one place we can go to if we want to have our guilt dealt with. And it's not the leaders of any so-called religious establishment. It's the cross of Christ. And it's no coincidence that these failures are shown to us under the shadow of the cross. Only the blood of Jesus can take away our sin and cleanse us from a guilty conscience. That's what we read in Hebrews chapter 10. Let me read those words to you now. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly So the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Firstly, we have the denial of Peter. Secondly, we have the demise of Judas. And lastly, we have the dullness of the chief priest. Have a look at verse 6 through to 8 with me. The chief priest picked up the coins and said, it is against the law to put this into the treasury since it is blood money so they decided to use the money to buy the potter's field as a burial place for foreigners that is why it has been called the field of blood to this day the irony is incredible isn't it the chief priests are happy paying Judas to betray Jesus they're happy with the contract killing but they won't put the 30 silver coins back in the treasury why? because it's against the law How blind they are to their own sin. They don't want to corrupt the temple building. Yet at the same time, they are plotting and planning to have the true temple of God, the Lord Jesus, executed on a cross. That's what we see back in verse 1 and 2. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans how to have Jesus executed. So they bound him led him away and handed him over to Pilate the governor you see through this whole process it seems that these leaders are completely untroubled by their sin no recognition of God no sense of guilt, no conviction of sin and therefore no repentance what a dangerous place that is to be look at their response to Judas in verse 4 Judas says, I've sinned for i betrayed innocent blood and the chief priest, what is that to us? They replied, that is your responsibility. That's your responsibility? No, chief priest, that is your responsibility too. Both of you are responsible for putting Jesus on the cross. In fact, all of us are responsible for putting Jesus on the cross. We're all sinners. It was my sin that held him there. It was our sin that held him there, and therefore we all need to repent. Well, inevitably, as we move towards the cross, we are confronted with this sequence of dark episodes which we've walked through this morning. Yet at the same time, the light of God's goodness is breaking through. Once again, we see the sovereign hand of God at work. Every single detail that we read happens in fulfillment with the scriptures. Even the land that was bought with the blood money that Judas gave back. Verse 9 and 10. Then what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. They took the 30 pieces of silver, the price set on him by the people of Israel, and they used them to buy the potter's field as the Lord Commanded me. From the crowing of the cockerel to the purchase of a piece of land, it is all under the sway of a sovereign God. Not even sin can thwart the purposes of God. In fact, God in His kindness uses our sin and uses our failure to bring about His good and saving purposes three times in that last section. We're drawn to the shedding of blood, verse 4, verse 6, and verse 8. And that's the theme that we're going to pick up with next week when we see that it is only, it is only by the shedding of innocent blood that the guilty may go free. Let's pray together as we close. Some words from Hebrews chapter 9. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. Father, we thank you that there is forgiveness because there was the shedding of blood. Thank you that you used the betrayal of Judas, the denial of Peter and the blindness of the chief priests to bring about your good, good, and saving purposes. Thank you that the Lord Jesus walked that road to the cross. And he did it for our sake. And he did it willingly and gladly. And Lord, how we praise you. That even though our sins are many, your mercy is more. Lord, help us to live our lives in view of your mercy. And for your glory, we pray. Amen.